Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning, and thank you for Jesus, and thank you for your scriptures. Um, God, I pray this morning as we read the simple and hard truth um, that we are called to love like you. God, I pray that your love would transform us this morning, God. Um, I pray that your love would draw us closer to you and free us from our fears and our burdens, our anxieties, our sins. And God, help us to love first and to be a people of love in this world that so desperately needs it. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. So one of the things that I have found in my faith, and I don't know if if your faith, your journey with God is like this. Uh, but one of the things I've found is that when Scripture becomes stale, when I become bored with Scripture, uh, usually it is because I am reading it on a, on a surface level. I'm not letting it read me. I'm not digging into it. And so I love Eugene Peterson. He talks about... Uh, it's kind of a weird idea, but he, he wrote a book on reading Scripture, and it's called Eat This Book. And he talks about reading Scripture in such a way that, that you chew on it, that you savor it, um, that you let it marinate, that you really spend time with it and wrestle with it. And so um, similar to eating food, sometimes when you're reading Scripture, uh, there's, there's bites that you have to chew on a little bit more. Uh, there's some bites that don't taste as good as other bites. And so I know for us, as we have wrestled with First John 4 and 5, um, we've really had to wrestle with some of this uh, text, some of these scriptures. And so I want us to begin there and kind of share about what we've wrestled with and then try to, try to end on um, a, little, a little more encouraging note. But one of the things that you read this, probably the most famous verse in First John is, Verse 16, 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, the second part of that that says, God is love, right? We we hear that everywhere, we say that everywhere. But, and my question for you is, how do we reconcile God is love with how God is portrayed in some of the other parts of Scripture? When it says God is jealous, or maybe even God is wrathful. Yeah, it's a great question. But I think what John is really Uh, getting at in this when he talks about it is God at his core is love. So then what do you do with those other things? If his essence is love, I think John's saying he's defining characteristic of love. And then when you think about it, those other characteristics of God flow out of that love. For example, I would, I I could argue that because God is the creative God, that is an expression of his love. Because he loves, he creates. He created us. Um, when you think about the idea of jealous God, uh, in Exodus 20, Moses writes that, quoting God, I'm a jealous God. But if you think about it, if God doesn't love, he wouldn't be jealous, okay? Um, if, a, if a man doesn't love his wife and his wife is enticed by another man, he won't react with jealousy. He doesn't care. But if he loves her, he is jealous for her. And that's why God, God, because he loves us so much, is jealous for us, okay? Jealousy is a natural reaction of one who loves. Think in Romans 1, 18, Paul says, 
the wrath of God is revealed or poured out on or against, quote, all the godlessness and wickedness of men. Now, I think it's interesting. Paul didn't say that that wrath was poured out on men, but on the wickedness and sinfulness of men. Wrath poured out against that sin and wickedness that destroys, hurts, brings brokenness to God's beloved, only natural, that that would cause wrath, you know, and such. So I think it, just to summarize, God is love, and his other characteristics flow out of that love. Okay, now back to you. If love comes from God and God is love, what do we do if all the hurt and the suffering and the pain in this world uh, even in this room, some of you have, have experienced, even this past week, some very hard, difficult things, hardship and loss. How do we reconcile that with God is love? It seems like in our world we're, we're wrestling with this almost every week on some level of how do we reconcile God with what we see or hear or experience? Um, and you, we've, we felt that again this week, right? You see... Those pictures, a video coming from Afghanistan. You see another earthquake hit Haiti. Uh, we hear about more and more loss. And so we wrestle with, as some say, some call it theodicy. Like, how do you reconcile a good God with an evil or hurting or broken world? And one of the things that I take comfort in is this is not a new phenomenon. Christians, humans have wrestled with this from the beginning. We're not the first to wrestle with this. And so, even, I mean, up here, this limited format, there, there's no way you can begin to give an answer to that. But one of the things that I, I want you to hear this morning is that Scripture, over and over and over, practices lament. So you see it in Psalms, the book of Psalms. We, we focus a lot on the praise in Psalms, rightfully so. But the book of Psalms, over and over and over, you see David and others going, God, where are you? God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, the book of Job, throughout there, Job is questioning God and complaining and lamenting. In Job 23, Job says, even today my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy in spite of my groaning. The book of Lamentations is a book of lament. We read, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. Even Jesus prays in the garden, God, if you are willing, take this cup from me. And so I think one of the reasons why we, we wrestle so much with the evil and the hurting in the world is we don't really practice lament very much. And Scripture is not afraid to practice lament. Scripture, I think, believes that we need lament in order to walk through the things that we will experience in our life. One of the things that I tell our students all the time is God is Emmanuel, God with us. And so you see in Scripture over and over, God does not run from Job and his complaining and suffering and hurting. God does not run from David and his questions and his complaining and suffering and hurting. God doesn't run from Jesus in the garden. I love in, in Hebrews 4 it says, We do not have a great high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. 
God does not run from our questions, our pain, our hurts, our struggles. We are not left alone. God is with us, and we can take them to him, and he will be there with us. So another question, kind of along those lines, is what does this mean then, that God is love? How would you explain that? You know, I think we could, and this is one of the neat things, we could spend our lives unpacking that. Um, I think that's why God wants a relationship with us uh, so that over our journey we begin to see and understand and feel what that means that God is love. And, and one of the things, though, that kind of hit me even this morning, because we talk about how do you define that, yet what John says here, and, and Paul says a similar thing in, in Romans 5, that God didn't come and try to find it so much for us as he demonstrated it for us. And in that demonstration is a definition, I think, but he really demonstrated it. He says that he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So, and in, and in verse 19 he says very clearly that love was first. So I think I would, at least at this point, talk in terms of four components of that demonstration. Um, one, it was first, meaning that we didn't do something first to deserve or earn his love. Uh, secondly, it was intentional. He sent. It was intentional and it was active. He sent. It didn't just happen. It was on purpose. And it was sacrificial. It cost God something, his only son. I read one quote this couple weeks ago. What sacrifice might you have to make to love fill in the blank? You know, because that's the model. It's sacrificial. And in fourth, it's life-giving. The result of his love brings forgiveness and brings life to the beloved. There's, there's a guy named Bob Goff. He's written a bunch of books. One of them is Love Does. One of them is Everybody Always. You're probably familiar with. But in Everybody Always, Bob Goff, he's, uh, someone asked him, if you could write your autobiography in six words, what would you say? What six words would you use to define your autobiography? And Bob, as only he can, he says, what if you weren't afraid anymore? And so it's kind of along those lines, in that vein, that we want to explore the rest of this text in six words at a time, okay? And so we're going to give each other kind of these six-word phrases to help us kind of wrestle with, talk about this text. Hopefully this will be memorable and, and challenging and encouraging for you. Okay, number one, first off, from verse seven, what if love comes from God? What if love comes from God? For me, this is one of the greatest evidences of God. We, we live in a culture that is all about love. We live in a culture where, where people want to be loved, they want to be seen as loving. They want to live in a culture that is loving. But think about it, like, where does that come from? If, if we are all just a bunch of atoms with no creator, why would we care about love? Why, why would love be such a big deal if there's no God? To me, the reason why we care so much about love, the reason why we all have this desire to be loved, and we know we need to love is because we were created in the image of God who is love. And so I, I love that 
Love comes from God. For me, that's one of the greatest evidences that we have a creator. Next one. What if love is our witness? Here, to me, is where the real challenge lies. Verse 11, he says, Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And, uh, and he seems to be saying that in this, where God lives in us and he's seen in us, uh, he's, his love is made complete in us, he seems to be saying that when we love others, we are revealing God to them. When we love, when we love another person, think about that. The unseen God of the universe the Almighty Creator, the Redeemer, the source of all love is seen by the Beloved, okay? So how do we do this well? Especially, how do we love the hard to love? You know who they are. You have those persons in your life, right, and you encounter, and it's a challenge. They're hard. Uh, You know who those folks are. And I think it's interesting in John 4, he seems to say don't put your focus so much on that person that's hard to love, but put your focus on knowing God. He says in verse 7, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The more a person knows God, and, and again, you know, that term in Scripture, know, is this intimacy idea, intimacy with God. The more that person loves well. Paul wrote in Romans 5, 5, God has poured out, I love this scripture, okay? God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. When I was in India a few years ago, and, and India, the, the movement of Christianity in India is very much heightened by a, a Pentecostal movement. And so when I was with the brothers there, what they wanted you to talk about was the Holy Spirit, and the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit and that kind of thing. And, and it's really funny because the first day I talked to them on Thursday morning, it kind of came up. And I said, okay, guys, Friday afternoon, last session, I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit. I had them for the next two days. Okay? So finally, Friday afternoon, I got to the Holy Spirit. And when I talked about that, I said, I want to tell you something. To me, the most maybe miraculous thing, power of the Holy Spirit, is to change my nature who I'll talk more about later, was not normally to be loving more and more into someone who loves better, okay? The more we know God, the more we become like him, and therefore the more we love others like he does, and then he is revealed by that. And I think that's interesting, too, for us to remember that what John is saying, he's inferring is God's not necessarily revealed by how much scripture you know. He's, and I'm not against knowing scripture. I'm for that. But that's not how you reveal God, really, what John says or how you do church, or how much knowledge you have, but how well you love. Okay, hard one. What if love drives out fear? So think about the, the things that you're afraid of. Think about the things that, that you uh, fear, that you stress about, that you worry about. And, and so often this is hard because oftentimes fear is that thing that's like right below the surface that's pulling the strings of our life that we don't even realize until it's too late or until we're down that road. And then we realize, why was that driving us? And there's this amazing promise, truth in Scripture that says God's love can drive out fear. And I think oftentimes we we focus on God's love saving us 
for salvation, for God's love, forgiving us of our sins. But it's interesting thing about God's love freeing us and saving us and driving out fear, saving us from our fears. Think about Jesus. Jesus was not motivated, motivated by the fears and the worries and the stresses that consume our lives. I mean, think about that. Jesus feared nothing. He was competitive towards no one. He was aggressive towards no one. And why? Because Jesus' identity was formed in God's love and it liberated him from the slavery of the fear of death. Jesus did not fear looking like a failure or a loser. Jesus did not fear humiliation. Jesus was free from all forms of death anxiety. I love, there's this quote John Christensen says, He who does not fear death is outside the tyranny of the devil. That so many, that our enemy uses so many of these fears of death and its, its anxieties to keep us from really living in his love. And so you think about this, Jesus conquered death and his love for us frees us from all those worries of death. And so we ground ourselves in his story, not our story, we ground ourselves in his story, we place our identity in his Love and we free, we begin to free ourselves from these burdens of death. Okay, what if love first is true? Well, you know, if you read the gospel, uh, the, the epistle John wrote here that we've been reading, and you believe it, it's clear, John, to John, love first is true. This statement we've put on this, this is our first leg of our mission statement, our. our theme is absolutely biblical and true. It's the way God loves. God loves and God loves first. Uh, as I mentioned, that, does, that means we didn't have to earn his love. Um, and it, it means our response is to love, at least consider how do I react with love first to this person or to this situation. You know, I appreciate the fact we've got through this COVID. The question our staff, I've heard it over and over again, has asked as we wrestle with everything, how in this do we love first? How do we love our community first? How do we love our body first? How do we love each other first? Um, this is not complicated, but it's not easy, okay? Uh, at least for some of us. And we'll be tested on this, I believe. You know, uh, every once in a while I hear somebody come to me and say, hey, I've got no problem with our mission statement, love first, but, and I think, ooh, that's a test. Isn't it really? It's a way we're kind of testing. Do we really believe this? Are we really thinking in terms of how do we love first or something, uh, something else? Uh, Don McLaughlin, who came here and spoke and wrote the book, Love First, and with his permission, we've used this. In that book, he wrote this, Our world is desperate for Christians who know how to respond to the heart of the world rather than to respond with the heart of the world. That's so true. And his friend, who he quotes in the book, said this, If you do not love first, you often will not get the opportunity to love second. So, what if love is our message? What if love is our message? I think so often we get tempted into believing that being right is our message or being trendy or being persuasive. 
Um, but God's message to humanity is punctuated with the cross. God's message to humanity is punctuated with love, and so our message must be as well. Uh, I don't know if you have realized this yet or not, but most people do not like being told what to do. Most people do not enjoy being told what to do. You can try and do it, but just a warning, it probably will not go over very well, right? And if you are a parent, you know this all too well. So what is the human heart receptive to, though? The human heart is receptive to love, right? And so you think about that person that you really want to come to know Jesus. What are our options? We can tell them what they should do, or we can love them. Jesus chose the cross, and he calls us to as well. One of the things we talk about, um, we used to talk about this a lot, is this idea that most of us need belonging before we will find believing. Most of us belong before we believe. What that means is, for most of us, it is when we experience God's love that we will believe in God's love. That for most of us, it's when we find God's love and are shown God's love and we belong in God's love in a place that then we will believe in God's love. Love is our message. Mm-hmm. And then next one, what if God really loves us? Mm-hmm. Several years ago, I read this book by Wayne Jacobson. I've walked through that book with a lot of you in this room. The book titled, He Loves Me. Uh, it was a game changer for me, and one of the chapters is entitled Live Loved, and it kind of became my mantra. If you've gotten emails from me or cards, they've probably, I've probably signed off Live Loved, and I, and I really think that is so, so critical. Um, the problem is a lot of time we don't live loved, even though we are. Uh, in fact, I think God not only loves us, I'll go out on a limb, I said, I think he kind of likes us. And, I, and I've sat with people and hurting and, and struggling with something. And I said, you know God loves you. And they'll go, yeah, 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 I know that. I know that. I said, and you know God likes you. And they'll kind of go, mm, you know, that's harder, isn't it? And, and, I, and I, I love the scene. I don't know if you all remember the movie The Shack, if you saw that. The scene in the kitchen the next morning and Max talking to Papa uh, who's the character who represents God in the movie and, and asking about different people and talking about different people and Papa's reaction always is, oh, I'm especially fond of them. I'm especially fond of him. I'm especially fond of her. I believe that's our God, yet we have a hard time believing that. Several years ago, I stood right here and I spoke words, hopefully, of comfort to the family of Bonnie Green. I don't know if y'all remember, several of y'all I know will remember Bonnie. She came to our church, became part of our small group for several years, and uh, about the third or fourth year she was in our group, she was diagnosed with cancer. It was really bad. Uh, she lived probably two or three years, maybe a little longer after that, and then passed away. But Bonnie committed that in her journey with cancer, she would live loved every day. We'd kind of gone through some of that material, and she just committed to that. And she did that because she believed she was. I would get texts from her from time to time. I would check on her after an appointment with the doctor or something, and I'd say, how are you doing? 
And sometimes the report wasn't good. But she would always close that text with this. Don't worry about me. I'm living loved. And if you came to her memorial service, the handout had live loved on it. Uh, she was. She knew she was loved by, uh, by friends, by an amazing family, but also by an amazing God and Father in heaven. And each one of us are too. But the question is, do we live in that love? And, and I think, awfully, if we struggle to live love, we struggle to live loving. You know, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Unfortunately, I think sometimes we do because we have such a hard time living or loving ourselves. But when we live love, we naturally live loving as well. Okay, last question, Adrian. What if Jesus changes the math? So one of the things that our oldest son was excited about for school this year was he was hoping that this year he would learn about multiplication. And so if you know anything about multiplication, one of the first rules of multiplication is anything times, anything multiplied by zero equals zero, right? So one multiplied by zero equals zero. One million multiplied by zero equals zero. In the kingdom of Jesus, whatever you do, if it is not multiplied by love, it equals zero. John says it like this, whoever does not love does not know God. Paul says, if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Jesus says, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In the kingdom of Jesus, whatever you do, if it is not multiplied by love, it equals zero. This week I have been convicted of all the, the ways and the reasons and the excuses that we make to do things that are not in love and to justify those reasons. And, and the, the thing that I've been convicted of this week is so often we think the end justifies the means. We think the fruit, whatever it is, justifies not living or not doing that thing in love. And so whether it be a relationship or something in business or something in church, that we know we should live in love, we should walk, we should, uh, walk in love, but if I get to this point, if I find this level of success, if I can just make it here, then I'll love. And Scripture, 1 John says, anything that is not multiplied by love doesn't matter. That's a hard, hard truth and a beautiful truth. Um, if I could, I want to ask our elders and ministers, if they would, to make their way to their places around the auditorium. And the reason they do this, and we talk about this often, is we do not want you to try this alone at home. <laughs> we do not want you to try this alone at home. This of living loved and living others like God has loved us is meant to be done in community. And these guys are here to walk this with you. Let me kind of wrap this up, bring it to conclusion. Um, you know, if you look at the Gospels and the stories of the Gospels about John, they're not, portray him not by nature as a very loving person, okay? Uh, he was combative and he was competitive by nature. You look at Mark 9, there's a story where he reports to Jesus, there was a man who was driving out demons in your name, but he wasn't part of us, so we told him to stop it. And Jesus looked at him and said, dude, why'd you do that? Basically. You know, he says, 
if, if he's not against us, he's for us, you know? Then you go to Mark 10, and he and his brother James come to Jesus, and they ask, hey, when you come in your power, can we be at the right and the left? In other words, they want to be big dogs in this kingdom they think is going to be an earthly takeover. Then you go to Luke 9, and Jesus' entourage are traveling through Samaria, and they're not welcomed, okay? And John turns to Jesus and says, you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy these people? And you see, you know, Jesus looking at him and says, man, put your lightning bolt back up, you know? Put that back in the harness. Um, but then God changed him into the apostle we know of as the apostle who loved, the apostle of love who wrote these amazing things we've been looking at. When I was writing my book, The Change Moment, years ago, and I was coming back from a mission trip we'd been on in Brazil, and Karen Gillow and I were talking on the airplane. She said, she asked me, how's your book coming? And I said, well, it's, it's okay, but I'm really stuck right now. I'm, I know there's a story in John, the man John, the apostle John, but I am really struggling on trying to figure that story out and, and, and come to grasp it. And I then realized several weeks later the problem was John's story was very much like my story. You know, it's hard to see yourself sometimes. And I, I titled that chapter in my book, From Winning to Loving. I was a combative and competitive person and not very loving. Some of you felt the brunt of that from time to time. I thought that by winning and being successful and doing well, that I would be loved by family, by friends, and by God. Wayne Jacobson, in that book, He Loves Me, wrote, quote, I was trying to earn points with someone who is no longer keeping score. What if God's not keeping score? Maybe it's because, and I think it is because, Jesus has already filled in the scorecard for us. It's still quite a journey to move from trying to win love to and earn love to just living in God's amazing love. For me, it was the fear that if I failed, you wouldn't love me. Family wouldn't love me. God wouldn't love me. And I needed that perfect love of God to drive out that fear. And I can tell you, it's not just a one-time event. That ugly demon can raise its head again and again in my heart. But it's crushed when I remember to simply live loved because I am. Love is the good news. It's the gospel. And it's good news that's better than probably even you can imagine. God loves you more than you will ever imagine. And there's nothing you can do to cause him to love you any more, and there's nothing you can do that would cause him to love you any less. I think only love truly changes a person. I think that's why God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, I think it was at the cross that everything changed for John. He saw firsthand the amazing love of God in the dying face 
of Jesus Christ. And it is near the cross, in the words of Fanny Crosby, that love and mercy found me. Today, if we can help you take next steps to come near the cross and find that love and mercy, won't you come as we stand and sing?